You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. I will show you around. Hi. Today's podcast, I'm very, very excited to have a, a colleague and friend, uh, Idan Dinai, a very well-known Israeli tax attorney uh, who's been based in the uh, Tel Aviv area for many years. I've had the privilege of working with him on many client issues, and I thought it was a good opportunity. Idan had some time this afternoon to discuss uh, some of the issues that concern uh, my clientele or other listeners out there who may just be uh, new to the Israeli tax scene or be involved in Israeli tax scene but have many questions. And I've always found Idan to be a great source of uh, accurate answers and ideas that uh, really help and save people taxes. So, Idan, thank you for coming on today. I'm happy to have this call together. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, Idan, just tell a little about how, how, did, how did you choose to go into Israeli tax as opposed to other, another area of Israeli uh, law? Oh, oh, this is a complicated story. Because <laughs> I'm now a lawyer for, a, for about 26 years already. Uh, we and like we uh, like stories on our podcast, so uh, we like stories. So let's let's hear your story. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I started uh, uh, in the eighties as, as, as an attorney who uh, practiced many areas of law, uh, represented institutional uh, funds and other institutions, and uh, even uh, I, I was even involved with litigation. Uh, but uh, more than 10 years ago, I had a strong strong urge to uh, practice something more uh, specific, something that many uh, many lawyers in Israel are not familiar with, and as you should know, there are many, many lawyers in Israel right now, uh, per capita. So um, eventually, uh, when I attended accounting, his studies in, in Tel Aviv University, I reached a decision to uh, specialize uh, in uh, international taxation, and, and and that's how things started. Very okay, and and you've been uh, practicing uh, on your own for how many years now? Uh, if we are concentrating on the uh, international taxation uh, arena, uh, then I'm now more than 10 years in this business. An issue that comes up quite frequently, it's an issue that I've turned to you, uh, when let's say one of my clients uh, decides to leave Israel for a period of time, mm-hmm. and, and the question arises, uh, are they still a resident of Israel? Are they not a resident? I don't want to go into all the, the, the details, but I'd like to perhaps give the client who's anticipating a move, let's say, to the U.S. for, for a several years that are unlimited part of time, some of the things that they should be thinking about or be aware of uh, when making that move. I have to start by saying that in many, many cases, uh, people who actually... Uh, 
move from Israel for, uh, let's say, a few years to another destination, let's say to the United States, for relocation purposes, uh, being uh, employed by a U.S. company, uh, many think that uh, the mere fact that they left Israel and they spend most of their time outside Israel for uh, a few years uh, actually um, detaches between them and the Israeli tax network. This is often not true. Uh, the Israeli tax authorities often take a harsh position with regard uh, to the minimum required period uh, for actually uh, changing residence. So in many cases, uh, people think or uh, uh, have the illusion that they are not regarded as Israeli residents, while uh, the Israeli tax authorities might take down the road another position. Uh, I may say that uh, statistically, of course, it's nothing. It's, it's not a statutory uh, test, but statistically, when uh, people who leave Israel return uh, before the lapse of a five-year period. Uh, even if most of the time during this uh, five-year period they spent outside Israel, still they are under the risk that uh, the Israeli tax authorities may see them as uh, continually, uh, uh, actually continuing to be Israeli residents throughout the whole period. Mm -hmm. Is there some things that they should absolutely do uh, to, to strengthen their uh position, that, that they're assuming that they're spending this uh, nice sabbatical and they won't get hit by a surprise when they come back in terms of the Israeli tax authorities claiming uh, unpaid taxes? Of course, there are, there are the uh, qualitative tests, the uh, date counting. Uh, the best method is to try to stay uh, <clears throat> in Israel no more in the aggregate, no more than 30 days each year. Mm -hmm. This way, they are not going to be tested under the the second uh, numerical test, which is the 435 years, which is a three-year test. Uh, so long as you do not exceed 30 days, they don't count the uh, days that you spent in Israel. Uh, the uh, actually the previous two years. I so uh, numerical tests are important. Of course, they are not the ultimate test. The ultimate test is the actually center of life test, and there are often uh, there are cases uh, in which you can establish. Of course, the onus of proof is upon you to do that, but you can establish that uh, despite the fact that you failed under the numerical test and you are regarded as an Israeli resident, still the center of life has changed. But, of course, it, it is much more complicated uh, to convince the assessing officer in Israel uh, so long as you actually fail under the numerical test. And one question that I'm often faced with, and I'm curious to hear your, your opinion on this, do... The, let's say one of my clients who's a U.S. citizen will say, well, didn't Israel... Uh, signed the treaty with the U.S. about prevention of double taxation, and yet the Israeli law 
says something else, just like the U.S. law is separate from the treaty. Do you find the Israeli authorities respect the treaty or 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 uh, yield to the treaty ultimately, or is that something that they uh, tend to try to argue based on what Israeli law is? Okay, I, I have two main uh, answers to this. Uh, so long as we discuss the double taxation exposure, under my experience, the Israeli tax authorities are flexible, and they are very keen to avoid uh, any double taxation, uh, but we we have to be aware of the fact that double taxation is a very severe uh, consequence. But ultimately, the uh, marginal tax rates in the United States for individuals uh, are, if we ignore the state tax, are no more than 35%, while the marginal tax rates for individuals in Israel are 48%. Mm-hmm. So you can still actually pay effectively the Israeli tax rate, and, and, and we're not uh, dealing with double taxation here. We're just uh, dealing with actually uh, paying additional tax uh, actually uh, to uh, comply with the uh, marginal Israeli tax rate. Uh, so, uh, for example, if uh, one is employed in the United States and there is no doubt that his employment income is often U.S. source, and uh, taxes are withheld at source, and he pays the effective uh, whatever twenty plus something or thirty, depending on his uh, brackets, tax brackets in the United States. Still, we, as so long as he is an Israeli resident under the Israeli domestic law, he is still uh, subject to Israeli taxation, so he will receive probably a credit for U.S. taxes paid in the United States. But still, uh, since the brackets uh, are different, tax brackets are more crowded in Israel, and the marginal tax rate is higher, you'll have to pay additional uh, Israeli taxes minus the, uh, considering the taxes he paid in the United States. Uh, What the treaty says is that there, uh, there is actually a domestic law residence, and there is a treaty uh, perspective residence. One can be at the same time a U.S. resident and an Israeli resident under the domestic laws of the U.S. and Israel at the same time. But uh, you have to uh, determine the uh, residence for uh, treaty purposes. In some cases, it may save taxes. Uh, but not uh, under the scenario that uh, I described. Uh, For example, the scenario of employment income or business income derived in the United States. Uh, Although you may be regarded as a U.S. resident for treaty purposes, you still have to pay additional tax in Israel. Mm -hmm. All right, so one of the things that I've, worked with you over the years, and, and, and I think this is what my last question on this topic, uh, le- getting a legal opinion. I, I understand it's one really couldn't get a legal opinion prospectively, in other words, before they've even left Israel, uh, but let's suppose upon their return, uh, how, how, how valuable is that for an a individual who is uncertain of what their status was? or how Israel may view them 
to seek out someone like you to get a legal opinion as to their status? This is a very uh, important and crucial issue. Residence is not only being subject to taxes, but also being subject to reporting duties. A failure to uh, to report uh, might be regarded as a criminal offense, so long as it is not uh, unless it is made in good faith and actually in reliance on a legal opinion. Um, uh, in the past, the Israeli tax authority tended, in some cases, to issue pre-rulings with regard to the date or to the status, uh, resident status of uh, newcomers to Israel. Now they are very reluctant. Actually, it is very rare that the Israeli tax authority uh, agrees to issue a pre-ruling with regard to an individual request uh, on the date of return or on the resident status. So the only possibility uh, for a newcomer to Israel uh, who uh, actually relies on um, on a position uh, with regard to tax residency, the only way is to rely on a legal opinion. Uh, such reliance uh, may actually uh, let him sleep well at night because he will he, he will be he will have every uh, right to rely on such opinion absent any alternative way to accept the Israeli tax authority pre-ruling so would it sounds from this what you've been telling me although they might not know their their um status their residency status upon leaving the country, uh, they very much could use some guidance as to their reporting requirement uh, based on their plans. Is that something they could also turn to you for? Uh, yes, of course. And, and if it was not clear before, when they take a position that they are not residents and they rely on such legal opinion, they, they, they actually do not have any reporting duty with regard to non-Israeli source income. Which mm -hmm. is a very crucial thing. So, if you are, a, a, and it is very important uh, to know that uh, newcomers that enjoy the uh, extensive uh, exemptions under Amendment 168 of the Income Tax Ordinance, namely the 10 year exemption applicable to any kind of non Israeli source income, uh, are also explicitly exempt from a reporting duty with regard to such uh, income. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is not th this is a very uh, important feature that a new olim or a, a veteran returning residents uh, can use for their benefit and and legally avoid reporting in Israel. Uh, very interesting. All right, well that's you know, this is obviously a very deep topic, a complicated topic, but it does seem, from my experience, that it is something that uh, someone like you should be consulted at every stage uh, because uh, having a legal backing, having a legal opinion is certainly going to remove criminality and, and give good guidance as well. Let me, let me take a, a few minutes now to look Idan on another subject that uh, we've shared, 
uh, and we see increasingly the the phenomena of Israelis investing in uh, real estate in the U.S. Uh, I'd like to just maybe spend a few minutes talking about what I see a, a great number of Israeli residents, individuals for the most part, investing in uh, U.S. residential real estate. Uh, do you have any general, um, ad- some general advice in terms of how they should be planning their affairs from the Israeli side of things for these type of investments? Uh, yes, this is a very important issue, and double taxation might occur here, especially if we consider the uh, very popular use of LLCs in the United States as actually an investment vehicle. An LLC is what we call in in, in the uh, actually jargon of the uh, tax practitioner a hybrid entity. A hybrid entity is a DLC in this case is regarded as fiscally transparent entity in the United States, namely as a partnership or if it's a single member LLC, it's even disregarded completely for tax purposes in the United States. Mm-hmm. At the same time, in absent any active election made in Israel, the LLC in Israel is regarded as a body of persons, as a corporation subject to corporate tax. And not only that the LLC uh, may be regarded as a corporate body, but any distribution uh, made out of this LLC will be regarded as a taxable dividend in Israel, uh, taxed at a rate of 25% to 30%, depending on the uh, <coughs> share or the membership interest holding rate. Um, and such dividend income actually will not enjoy in Israel any credit uh, with regard to taxes paid in the United States. So this might end up as a tax accident. So it is very important to tackle uh, efficiently this tax risk, this double taxation risk. And I have never, uh, I've hardly uh, actually encountered a case in which an LLC a structure uh, was not adapted in uh, investments in real estate in the United States. So this is a very, very crucial issue. Um, of course, there is no one solution fit all. Uh, sometimes uh, investment in real estate in the United States is more capital gain tax oriented. Something uh, Sometimes it, it's more uh, ordinary income oriented. If it's a yielding asset and the owner has no intention to dispose of this asset at a gain within a short or not a very long period, then uh, tax considerations uh, are different uh, because you have to take into account the high marginal tax rate in Israel for individuals uh, on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, the capital gain tax rate in Israel, which is more beneficial for individuals like in the United States. Uh, So uh, there are uh, many considerations. It's a very complex situation, and you you also have to take into account a state tax consideration in the United States for non-U.S. investors. 
and, uh, and, and this also uh, is a crucial issue because the estate tax in the United States, as you will know, uh, of course, uh, you know better than me, Philip, uh, actually starts from a $60,000 uh, floor and, and, and it may, might end up in an effective uh, tax rate of tens of percent. Of percent. Yes. So uh, this is, and this is not something that is paid out of profits, but it is paid out of principle, of the corpus of the investment. This is a very, very severe consequence. And for a non-U.S. person, there are some techniques that can be used, as, such as uh, the, the incorporation of an Israeli uh, company uh, and other techniques that you, uh, you know very well. Yes. All right. Let me. I'm going to just add one additional question to the the real estate a phenomenon that I've been seeing a bit lately, where Israeli investors uh, will invest not only, as you say, to ultimately get the capital gain, but in order to reduce the U.S. taxation of the current or ordinary income, they will finance. Uh, the purchase of the real estate or or finance the let's say their their opening of their LLC via, via a loan uh from an Israeli source uh just in general we're not going to go into the US side of this but how how does Israel view the interest on those loans I assume that you're referring to loans made by Israelis to US entities Correct correct Okay, there are, uh, of course, uh, differences with regard to uh, the one who grants the loans. If it's an individual, uh, there are some opportunities, uh, there are some tax benefits if, of making a, what we call an owner's loan, which is linked to the Israeli CPI. The CPI differences are, in many cases, exempt and are tax deductible at the U.S. entity level. Uh, if we're talking about companies, then we have uh, we have an issue of transfer pricing and uh, arm's length interest should be collected. And at the same time, we have in the United States what we call the applicable federal rate, the AFI rate, which uh, apply to... Uh, loans between related uh, entities that have to be uh, also uh, examined. So Israelis, let's say, making these loans to U.S. entities that they also uh, are owners of, is, they're wearing what we call in the U.S. two hats. They're a equity owner, let's say, and they're also a lender. Uh, in terms of the tax rate they'll have to pay on that interest, is that generally at their marginal rate? Yes, it is. But as I said, there is a possibility of making a, a loan which bears a, a inflation index differences, a, which is a good idea sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we we also should not a, a forget the withholding tax, which is under the treaty between Israel and the United States, 17.5%. Namely, that interest paid out uh, by a U.S. taxpayer to an Israeli taxpayer is subject to a 17.5% withholding, uh, which are remitted to the IRS. 
I know a topic that uh, you like very much, and I just want your uh, uh, take for our audience. If an Israeli wishes to expand uh, his investment portfolio and not just invest in the local markets, but open a U.S. brokerage account, um, do you have any anything to say on that topic in terms of what they might need to be aware of? Will they be able to take losses against their Israeli income, or are they be limit? Will they they have limitations, etc.? Of course, uh, as you well know, the uh, capital gain stocks in the United States uh, for non-resident aliens is actually zero if we're talking about securities. Correct. And in Israel, it is now uh, 25%. Yes. And if we're talking about a, a high dividend portfolio, uh, then dividend is taxed in Israel at a 25% rate. And in the United States, there is a withholding tax rate of 25% as well. Yes. Uh, interest is also taxed at a 25% rate in Israel. We're talking about, of course, uh, traded securities. And uh, sometimes there is no uh, tax withholding uh, in the United States. If it's, it's what we call a portfolio interest in the United States. Uh, so uh, let's say that if if you are a newcomer to Israel and can enjoy the 10-year exemption, you are better off uh, paying no tax at all if you are not a U.S. person. I see. Mm-hmm. And if you are a U.S. person, you are better off paying only the 15% long-term capital gain tax rate and the, or the 15% applicable to qualify dividends in the United States. So you, all, you are always better off not being subject to the Israeli tax rate. With regard to a, with regard to the estate tax, if you are not a U.S. person, not a U.S. citizen, or not domiciled in the United States, you should be very careful uh, not to invest in a, or not to invest just individually in U.S. brokerage accounts or in U.S. stocks. For example, uh, an Israeli. Uh, resident who is not an Israeli uh, is not a U.S. citizen, sorry, uh, is uh, is subject to a state tax on his uh, holdings in a U.S. company such as Intel. Uh, Should this person invest uh, via an Israeli entity, company, uh, he will save uh, his heirs and uh, a very, very, very large tax exposure. So it is a very crucial uh, issue to uh, to be aware of. Well, I think one thing that my listeners will get from this call is that uh, there are questions, but uh, the questions may not always be that simple, and one must uh, perhaps ask several questions in order to get to the answer. But I, I really appreciate you giving my listeners a little glimpse into some of the topics that they may have to deal with on the Israeli tax side. And I would hope that through the coming year, we could call you again uh, with some other topics that uh, may be of interest to my listeners. Thank you. It was a pleasure, as always. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.